Am I on? Can you hear me? Yeah? Okay, okay. Um, good morning, family. Good morning. <laughs> For those who don't know me, I'm Becky Erickson, and I am a member of the family of God. Thank you. And this church. <laughs> and what I have today is not a sermon, but a testimony. Um, and it's a testimony from my life that I may need to read because it's a little too fresh and a little too raw. Um, so please just sit back and engage with me and forgive me if I have to read <laughs> from my notes. Um, I still remember the day in 2010 when with trembling hands, I finally decided to give my mom a call and put into words the thoughts that had been swirling inside of my head. You see, it was a couple of months before Emily's first birthday. My sweet Emily, who is now 12, had come crashing into this world when she was just 24 weeks gestation. Yeah, I was six months pregnant. And she, she was a little over one pound and unable to survive on her own. We should both be dead. But that is a very long story of God's faithfulness and sovereignty that we'll have to wait for another time. After two months of touch and go with her actual life, and three months of touch and go with her eyesight and her ability to breathe, and nearly a year of living in the unknown of just how much damage had been done to her brain and her body, I was staring down the barrel of her first birthday. We lived down south at the time, and birthdays down there are a really big deal, and first birthdays are even bigger. So, scared out of my mind, I finally voiced over the phone what I had been thinking for weeks. Mom, I don't know how I'm supposed to celebrate the worst day of my life. There, I'd finally said it. I thought my daughter's birthday was the worst day of my life. Just slap the Mom of the Year award on my chest and let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> of course, since I had called my mom out of the blue, my mom's responded with, sweetheart, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> so I proceeded to let it all out. Instead of trying to speak in faith like a good Christian, I let all my fears have a voice. From the trauma itself and the near loss of my own life to the constant unknowns of just how disabled my child was going to be. I remember asking question after question. How am I supposed to celebrate the day that all of that happened? Have a party? Act like it's okay? When I'm not even sure if I can face this day, I'm supposed to face it in front of other people? Are you kidding me? I remember concluding my lament with these words. Even if we're capable of ignoring the mom guilt, over saying these things about my child's birthday, how am I supposed to celebrate the day that every one of my dreams for my future, for our future, for her future died? My mom listened like she always did, but when she paused, I knew she was trying to decide if she should speak truth or comfort me. <laughs> Pretty sure. She was praying because what came out of her mouth were not only the very words I did not expect, but the very words I desperately needed to hear. Becky, I know that you cannot see this right now, but someday you will truly celebrate this day. My angry, sarcastic, what? 
may have prompted the immediate follow-up. <laughs> I don't remember her exact words, uh, but it was something like this. Wait, 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 let me explain. Right now it seems impossible that this day is anything but horrible, and that's okay. Right now, what you are seeing as the day of death will someday be your day of life. It's okay if this year you're scared of it and you cry your way all the way through it. As long as you are willing to recognize and acknowledge that God can and will change it. I remember sitting there silently thinking that what she said was impossible, that there was no way I would ever celebrate that day. But I also stayed on the line, not, not quite believing what I was hearing, but wanting so desperately for it to be true. As my mom went on, she began to outline some of the things we could already see. Becky, look around you. You have two beautiful girls that you get to raise. That is the day the enemy tried to steal your motherhood from you. And God said no. Emily is alive and she is not in a wheelchair. And she is no longer on oxygen. Yes, all of your dreams have changed. But what if the new dreams God gives you are even better? How many miracles have you seen in the last 10 months? How many times was she near death and God's people prayed and death left. This year, you will celebrate her birthday because you see the life in front of you. You will celebrate in faith. And even though your emotions will not agree, you will use your mind to speak to them. And then eventually, probably years from now, your emotions will catch up with the truth. I listened, and even though my heart and mind were not there yet, I begged God that she was telling the truth. <laughs> that year we did celebrate Emily's birthday, uh, but I did not invite anyone except our family. I knew I needed the space to break down and cry. And I also, but I also wanted with all of my heart <sighs> to declare to the enemy that he would not own that day forever. All that day, great joy and pain coexisted. As Emily's adorable pink glasses reminded me that we had no idea what the future of her eyes would be, I heard in my heart, she who once was blind now sees. As her head rocked back and forth, and I, she had a little do 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 do, <laughs> uh, um, and I gazed at her crooked smile. The pure joy she exuded made me smile. And even as I was reminded of her diagnosis of cerebral palsy, I heard again in my heart, she who once was lame is learning to walk. I looked up that verse later. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It's Matthew 11:5. And what's really crazy? Each one of those things would become true in her life in the years to come. The point is, today, <laughs> I had a little bit of hope, even though it was smaller than a mustard seed, 
and even though the unknowns of our future still remained as a present reality. He filled me with joy as I watched her first question and then make a hot mess out of that cake. <laughs> joy and pain simultaneously existed in that moment. Well, fast forward four years. It's Emily's, well, we're looking at Emily's fifth birthday. It was fast approaching and I was caught up in the planning of all of it. I was so excited. Uh, she had opinions by then. So we were figuring out how to make My Little Pony work. And uh, I was trying to plan all of these things when all of a sudden God stopped me in my excited little tracks, gave me a flashback of that first cake. And in an instant, like only God can do, the entire conversation with my mother flooded my mind and I remembered everything that she had told me. I had to sit down. I was stunned. I had forgotten all about it. And here we were, four years later, and I was celebrating Emily's birthday, purely celebrating. In amazement, the reality of the truth of my mom's advice and the faithfulness of God hit me, and I fell to my knees and praised God. You see, to me, Emily's birthday is the day that God began to work miracles in my daily life. It is the day he opened my eyes so I could see that he truly reveals himself in every situation, in every moment, in every season. It's the day that all of my dreams died and all of his dreams became a reality in my life. It is the day that I died and my life of reliance on God, trust and faith in him truly began. It's the day that I realized his presence is actually all I need. I, will, I would never relive that day, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world either. In church, this is not an isolated incident in my life. It's not the one time that God chose to reclaim a day and experience a moment or a season. This is a pattern that I'm seeing throughout my life, throughout scripture, Everywhere I look, God straight snatches horrible life events out of the hands of the enemy, reclaims and redeems them, and then somewhere, somehow, I don't know how, manages to still turn them for good in our lives. Only the one true God could do that. And y'all, just as a side note, Romans 8:28 does not declare that God declared the things good. And we don't have to either. Please don't quote that verse at someone when something terrible happens. It says that our God is so powerful and utterly sovereign that he daily takes horrible things, reclaims them, sets us free from the slavery of them, and then makes them obedient to his will, even to the point of being able to use them for the good purposes in our lives. But friends, even that, in the moment of someone's pain, is not what they need to hear. <laughs> I know we never know what we should say, so it's probably just best not to say anything at all. Offer a hug or sit down next to someone. But I digress. Okay. <laughs> God takes the horrible and uses it for good. It, the Bible's full of examples. Look at Joseph, right? He did not say that his brother selling him into slavery was a good thing. 
He said that what his brothers intended for evil, he still declared the event intended for evil. And the action was evil and the intent of the people was evil, but God had used it for the good of the known world. Look at the story of Ruth and Naomi. No one ever said, oh, it's okay that your husband and your sons died. No, but they all recognized it when God redeemed her and redeemed her property, her future, and her hope. And they praised God for it. There are so many more, but of course we can't overlook Jesus, who stands as the ultimate story of redemption. He lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose again to purchase our souls out of slavery from the enemy, out of slavery to sin. And then on top of that, he places us in his family. We are adopted into his family as children with an inheritance. It's pretty phenomenal. Y'all, God is the great redeemer. And so often we get the privilege of seeing his redemption on the side of heaven. It gives us so much hope for the things we have not yet seen. And even though we might not see some of these redemptions while we're still here on earth, we will see them someday because that's who God is. So while we're in this season here on earth, we have to make the choice to believe and rejoice even when we don't see it yet. Why? Because we have oceans of evidence that God has been faithful to redeem and restore throughout our own personal history, throughout the history of scripture, throughout the history of the world. And because he lives, and because he never changes, we have this hope, firm and secure, as an anchor for our soul. He has redeemed in the past. He will continue to redeem in the future. Today, God is the redeemer of my Mother's Day. I don't know if, how many of you realize this, but this marks one year since my mom passed away of a tragic brain bleed. At the beginning of the year, people kept asking me, what are you going to do about Mother's Day? What are you going to do about Mother's Day? I finally went home and asked Micah if Mother's Day was the day mom died. Because <laughs> I don't want days, certain random days on the calendar to be owned by trauma. He affirmed it. So I kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. One day I was sitting in my quiet time, just sitting with the Lord. And all of a sudden, guess what happened? I was reminded of that conversation again. <laughs> I was like, oh, there it is again. Um, and I knew at once in my heart what I was going to do with Mother's Day. Um, I have decided to honor my mother by taking her advice once again. I think with God's help, I'm going to reclaim this day as well. This day will not be marked as the day my mom left me. That leaves me a victim and an orphan. Labels the enemy wants me to take on. Nope, today is Mother's Day, and God gave me a great mother. I had her advice and love for 43 years. I am just a child of God now. Just. <laughs> There's a label I will take. Child of God. I am his and I am his alone. And you know what else? I'm a mother. I have two wonderful girls that I get to raise. And I am healthy 
and I can do life with them just like my mom did life with me. Mother's Day is beautiful because on this day a year ago, God thanked my mom for all of her hard work. He surrounded her with her children and everyone was together when she got to go meet my dad. This Mother's Day, my emotions might not fully agree with my head. In fact, they do not. And frankly, that's just how it should be. Someday they will come to understand the truth that my head already knows. I will count every blessing with my mind until my heart comes to understand. I am blessed beyond all measure. So what am I going to do about my Mother's Day? Celebrate it and cry. Probably cry a lot. What am I going to do? Allow the pain and the grief to coexist. Side by side, simultaneously. I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to share this day with my girls. And I will mourn that I will never again share it with my mother. I will rejoice and weep, realizing that someday my God will dry up every tear, trade my mourning for sorrow, and remove all of my pain. Because of who my God is, I will allow the tears to fall because I don't mourn like this world mourns. I mourn with hope. So church, what about you? God isn't just here to redeem our souls, which he truly does. But he also wants every part of our lives, from our days and our experiences to our seasons and our childhoods. He wants all of it. Anything that has been claimed by the enemy, God wants it back. He wants to heal you. If you have never turned to Jesus and made him your Lord and Savior, he's waiting. He wants to pluck you right out of the slavery that you are in and trade it for freedom to be adopted into his family. Don't pass that up. But for those who belong to the family, Jesus' redeeming work didn't end when he plucked you out of slavery. He is in a constant state of healing us from our past. What days or seasons do you need to ask God to reclaim? Ask him today. Use the reminders of what's already been redeemed to bolster your faith, to boost your confidence in the Lord. This is why we speak them out. Then boldly and confidently, confident in who God is, not who we are. (sighs) Ask him today to heal your past. If you let go of your anger, your hurt, your trauma, and allow him to have it, he will redeem. I'm ready. Some of you know that um, I'm a retired pastor. Some of you may not know that. And as Becky and I went into the restroom to figure out our um, wireless mics, and we we have to share a um, transmitter 
I didn't even know that's what it was called. It reminded me of one of my most embarrassing times um, as a pastor. I was guest speaker at my um, former home church in Vacaville, and they had two services, and between services, I went in to use the restroom, and I had the transmitter in my pocket. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Thankfully, the toilet bowl was full of clean water when the transmitter fell in plop. <laughs> and I just, I quickly grabbed it out of there and it was wet through and through. And then I had to go back out and tell the sound people what I had done and I was really embarrassed. And it was the pastor's mic, wireless mic that I was was on loan to me. So um, I used a handheld mic, the second service. Embarrassed? Yes. Especially with my son there. My two sons, yes. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story with you this morning. I told Becky she's a hard act to follow. But I'm not an act to follow because this is my story. So the early years. I always wanted to be a mom. From the time I was a little girl growing up, I always wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be married and, and be a mom. And I got married at 23 and put my first husband, Mark, through law school. Once he graduated, he told me that children would have to wait until he was established in a law firm. This was really hard for me to hear because I'd been waiting, put him through three years of law school, and I was ready to start a family, and he said no. When Mark announced that he was ready to start a family, it took another year and a half for me to get pregnant. That was a long wait, and for any of you women who've gone through that waiting time, every month is a time of tears, because your body lets you know you're not pregnant. And I had friends who were having their first, sometimes second, baby, and here comes a beautiful Amelia. <laughs> Precious baby. Um, so finally I got pregnant, and when our first son was born, I was 30 years old, and I was delighted to finally be a mom. Jason Matthew was born on October 4th, 1979, and I remember calling my parents and saying, Jason Matthew Marcus is here. He was a busy baby, happiest when he was moving and being given attention. You know, some babies like to be held in a front carrier. Jason liked to be in a front carrier that let him face outwards. And they did make some like that. You know, he liked to bounce around, but he wanted to see what was going on in the world. When he learned to walk, he ran. And as he developed language, he became what we called the what-if kid. Mommy, what if... Daddy, what if all day long? <laughs> Sometimes I take him out in the backyard with me. I need to do yard work and took him out there so he could play and I could get things done. Didn't work out that way because he would say, watch me, mommy. Look at me, mommy, about every two minutes. Watch me. Look at what I'm doing, mommy. And I do remember that he enjoyed smashing snails in the garden. Now, before I was a mom, I used to enjoy a, a rare treat of escargot. If you don't know that what it is, it's snails in a garlic buttery put in a shell. 
Well, after watching what came out of the snails he smashed, I kind of lost my taste for escargot. <laughs> Jason loved to be read to, and his vocabulary was well-developed. And like many preschool boys, he loved dinosaurs. When he grew, was four years old, he said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a paleontologist. And he knew exactly what that was. So when I read dinosaur books to him at bedtime, he would correct my pronunciation. No, mommy, that's not how you say it. Well, later he discovered video games, and he decided he was going to become a Nintendo game counselor. Jason's dad is not a believer. He was brought up in a Jewish home that was more cultural than religious. And although he said he believed in God when we got married, a few years later he said, you know, I don't believe in God. Nah. So I remember the Sunday morning when Jason was just four. He cried when we got home from church. And I asked him, what's wrong? And he said, Daddy doesn't love Jesus. <sighs> four years old. When he was six, Almost six, his younger brother Daniel was born. Again, a long week to have that second child. So rejoicing, and, and our church family and friends rejoiced. Um, I remember, though, when we had Daniel, Jason and Daniel, it was before they had ultrasounds that would tell you the, the gender of your baby. So it was a surprise when they were born. Um, Jason, at five, said that he was going to be there when his baby was born. And so my mom was there, the, the hospital allowed it, and um, his dad at first said, oh no, he doesn't want to be there. I said, then you tell him he can't be there. And so he tried that, and Jason burst into tears. I want to be there when my baby comes. So he was there when Daniel arrived, and my mom was there with him as his support. And my mom looked down at Daniel and said, oh, your violet has a stem. <laughs> really hoping and praying for a daughter, but God has given, given us two wonderful boys. Well, Jason did well in school. He learned to read in kindergarten, and by mid-year second grade, he was placed into the gifted and talented, talented education program at his school. Now, because schoolwork was easy for him, and he quickly completed his assignments, he sometimes got in trouble for socializing with other students while they were trying to get their schoolwork done. We noticed at the beginning of third grade some strange facial and vocal tics. So I spoke to our family doctor who thought it might be new school year jitters. Happened right at the beginning of third grade. And within six weeks, the tics were gone. It was like, oh, the doctor was right. The same thing happened in fourth grade and then fifth grade. Only in fifth grade, the tics, vocal and facial, didn't stop after six weeks of school. They increased in frequency. Now, Tourette's syndrome runs in my family. I think many of you probably are familiar with that, that syndrome. So I began to suspect that that was the cause of, of his tics. We consulted with his fifth grade teacher, who Mr. Bell said, I haven't noticed anything unusual. Well, I visited his classroom, which was very noisy and rambunctious. Um, we scheduled an appointment with a pediatric neurologist at that point, and he confirmed what I had suspected. Jason had Tourette's. There is no cure for Tourette's. As we drove home, my heart was aching. 
my son was broken and I couldn't fix him. It was really hard. The neurologist suggested that we try Haldol, which is a really powerful um, psychiatric drug. He said, you know, if we try this, maybe it will help with the symptoms. Well, we couldn't get to a therapeutic dose without putting him to sleep, so that was not an option. Now, now Jason was able to do some control of those vocal tics while he was at school, but when he got home from school, he often sounded like a machine gun going off, as he just had to let it out. In my family, thankfully, the pattern has been for the symptoms of Tourette's to reduce by the time um, the person is in their late teens. And I'm grateful for that fact because for some people, the symptoms just get worse and worse and worse and sometimes even include uncontrollable profanity. Um, I have a nephew who has Tourette's, my brother's um, oldest, and he chose to make his life in Southeast Alaska being a commercial fisherman because he realized that the stress of, of everyday life would bring out those symptoms, so he decided to live where he was out in the open, and when I'm with Michael, I, I can't see anything at all, but that's a choice he made, and he also made a choice not to have children because he didn't want to pass it on. With the transition to middle school and its increased homework, Jason struggled with being able to focus, and I used to think of him as a jack-in-the-box, as he popped out of his room every five minutes into the family room and we'd say, Jason, go do your homework. When I spoke to our family doctor about possible ADD, he said the medication for attention deficit would make his Tourette's symptoms worse. It was interesting though that when it came to video games, Jason could be fully engrossed, totally focused <laughs> for an hour, two hours, longer. Well, when he was 12, my marriage of 17 years ended. Jason's dad chose his secretary over me, over our marriage. Later that year, Jason was in the hospital with spinal meningitis. Our highly verbal son had episodes of verbal aphasia when he couldn't speak more than one word at a time. He would say, hurt, hungry. He'd take one bite of food, and that was it, hurt. The 48 hours of waiting for the spinal fluid culture was really hard because they put him on IV antibiotics not knowing if the meningitis was viral or bacterial, not knowing if it was going to progress rapidly, possibly to death. It was a really hard 48 hours, but we were so relieved when the culture came back negative for bacteria and Jason was discharged. Being a regular participant in Sunday school was challenging as, as Jason and his brother were with their dad every other weekend. However, during middle school, Jason was an Awana leader with me in the Cubbies program, the preschoolers. Um, if you're not familiar with Awana, it's a wonderful mid, midweek Bible-based program. All right, the dark teen years. Many of you are familiar with Proverbs 22, verse 6. Start your children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Well, my sons, Jason and Daniel, had mixed messages as Jason's dad and I had joint custody. I had them 70% of each week. After a year or so, Jason said, Mom, I want to live with Dad. 
I just want to go live with dad. And I pondered his request and then suggested that maybe he just wanted to spend more time with his dad. So we modified our custody arrangement from 70 to so an even 50-50. Life was going somewhat smoothly at that point until a dad at my church informed us that Jason was smoking marijuana. He was 15 and we discovered this had been going on for more than a year. When we confronted Jason, he told us the truth and then said he wanted to get away from the pot smoking crowd. This meant moving him to the other high school in town. Thinking this would be an improvement for him, we agreed to let him, to tra let him transfer to the high school on the south side of Vacaville where he could hang out with more of his church friends. Sounded like a good plan. It didn't take long before we discovered that his church friend's drug of choice was alcohol. I still remember when he spent the night with church friends and came home the next morning hungover and oh, so sick. Well, we had planned and, uh, to join my parents for a day at Marine World, so I had little sympathy for him. His brother and I left him home to suffer the consequences of getting drunk. When Jason was 16, he asked to move in with his dad full time. He told me it was just too hard having his stuff at two houses. I told him that it seemed like he wanted to live with his dad because basically there were no rules and his dad was gone a lot. Jason assured me, oh no mom, that's not why. It's just, it's just too hard having my stuff at two houses. Well, having done that since I've moved a couple times, I can see it's really hard if you don't know where your stuff is, but uh, that's what he said. At uh, that point, he stopped attending church and basically cut me out of his life. He got a job at In-N-Out and was working 28 hours a week while still a high school student. His grandparents had a huge party for their 50th wedding anniversary. Jason chose to work rather than go and attend the party. The party was just an hour away. It wasn't that hard to do that, but he made the choice to work and missed their party. When I shared my concerns with, about Jason working so many hours with his dad, it was like talking to a brick wall. He's fine. It's okay. Surprise, surprise, Jason's grades began to slip. He liked work and he liked having money in his pocket. As his grades suffered, he didn't make any effort to apply to college. He barely graduated from high school. He enrolled in the local community college, but as he took it, as he said, I'm just going to take, he did one semester and they said, I'm going to take a break for a semester because he said, it's just like glorified high school. He began working for his dad in Sacramento as a law clerk. His friends were no longer friends from church. And it appeared that Jason was going to follow the ways of his dad who embraced the world with fancy restaurants, expensive suits, drinking, gambling with his friends at all, night at all night poker games and lavish vacations. When Jason was 18, he began getting facial piercings. Earlier, his dad told him, no. But once he was 18, he had the freedom to get the piercings. It started with an eyebrow piercing. The second piercing was his ear, and then he had his lip pierced. He told me later he had the piercings done just to make his dad mad, though um, Jason used different words. Um, he then bleached the tips of his dark brown hair 
So he had this spiky hairdo with blonde, or almost white, spikes with his dark brown hair. My heart ached for my son. It seemed like he was lost. I didn't try to fix him. Instead, I prayed for him. I said, God, he belongs to you. He's yours. I had to let go and trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Restoration. When Jason was 19, I felt moved to share the first book in the Left Behind series with him. He loved to read and I thought, hey, he might enjoy the book. Jason called me within a few days and asked if we could have dinner and talk. I was surprised and filled with happiness that he wanted to spend time with me. We had a two-hour dinner and talked about the theme of being left behind. At the end of our time together, Jason asked if he could go to church with me the following Sunday. It had been three years since we'd gone to church together. My insides leapt with joy, but I tried to have a calm exterior as I said, yes. Of course, of course you can join us for church. Then he, so he started attending church with us each week. He began working with the youth group. Then he was invited to join the praise team as their drummer. And it wasn't long before he told me, Mom, I think I need to find new friends. I had no idea that one book could have such a transformational impact on my son. But consider these verses from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is so much bigger than we can imagine. He is such a big, big God. His ways are so much higher than ours, and he hears our prayers. Jason became a mentor to his younger brother, advising him not to be a punk like he was. He cautioned him not to get involved in drugs or alcohol and to make healthy choices when choosing his friends. Over time, he began to make amends to those he had hurt during his dark days. He apologized to his grandparents for choosing to miss their anniversary party. Jason enjoyed working with the youth and especially enjoyed his time with the youth leader, a young woman named Sherry. As their relationship grew, she had a positive impact on him. He returned to community college and then transferred to Sacramento State University. And after graduating, he enrolled in the University of Pacific where he, and he received his law degree. Jason and Sherry have been married for 20 years. They have two sons, Jacob, who is 15, and Luke, who is 11. Jed, Jason heads up what was his law's, dad's law firm in Sacramento. His dad is, has pretty much retired from the practice of law. Jason is an active member of his local church where he continues to play drums with the praise team, is an elder, serves on the pastor search committee, is the clerk of session, and works with the youth with his wife, Sherry. He is clearly the spiritual head of his family as all four of them are walking with the Lord. 
I had the privilege of baptizing my grandson Jacob after he attended a Christian summer camp. When the boys were younger, their favorite bedtime book was the Jesus Storybook Bible. The son that God gave back to me after three years was so much better. What a gift. I know there are some here today who have a prodigal son or daughter. I want to give you hope that God does hear your prayers. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. As you continue to pray for your son or your daughter or other family member or members who are lost, may you trust in the promises of our loving God from 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God sent his one and only son to demonstrate his great love for us, for you, for me, for all of us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Please, please have hope that the lost will be found and redeemed, as Becky said. We have a God who redeems. He specializes in redemption. Psalm 27, verse 13, Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. And Psalm 146, verses 5 and 6, Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord of their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Francine Perry, the parent of a prodigal daughter who was redeemed after nine long years, writes, God specializes in impossible situations, and he loves to prove that hopeless cases aren't hopeless after all. Never give up. Pray, pray, and keep on praying. Your prayers accomplish more than you have ever dreamed. Please pray with me. Amen. Loving God, you know that there are parents here this morning who are hurting. They have a child who has turned their heart away from you. Please give each of them hope that you hear them and are at work even now, drawing their child back to you. We acknowledge that your timing is not our timing. So we wait in faith and confidence for your work to be done in the lives of those who need to recognize their need is Jesus. I thank you for the gift of my prodigal son returned to me better than he was. You are an awesome and mighty God. We pray now boldly in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Joel, chapter 2. 23 and following. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, 
the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Hallelujah. If you would like prayer, if you have not been redeemed yet, if you haven't experienced this amazing God who loves to redeem souls and lives and actions, and please come forward. Talk to one of our people up front here. We would love to pray with you to receive Christ. Have a great Mother's Day. We have gifts for you. So moms, make sure you grab some on your way out and have a great afternoon. <laughs>